If you gathered a bunch of historians, religious or not, they would agree that there once walked a man named Jesus, a real guy. He lived in Galilee, was killed by Romans, and his followers carried on after his death. But 2,000 plus years later, those are the only facts they could all agree on. But for a person as consequential as Jesus, how do we fill in the rest? And what does that picture say about ourselves? So prepare yourself for some serious questions and some not so serious questions, like which account would Jesus definitely follow? Maybe s'mores the photogenic cat. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Javi Zubizureta, and welcome to Jesus's Favorite Podcast, a show where we explore the many ways we can understand one of the most important figures in history. Like anyone over the age of 30, I can find TikTok to be a strange, confusing, but ultimately delightful place. Animal videos live alongside artists and would-be comedians. You can really find anything on the app. But how does an unassuming nun go viral on TikTok, racking up millions of views and ultimately winding up on The Kelly Clarkson Show? What does it take to be a viral sensation? We sat down with Sister Monica Clare to find out. Sister Monica Claire, thank you so much for joining us today on uh, Jesus's Favorite Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad this podcast exists. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. We are too. We are too. <laughs> In doing a little bit of research on you, I understand you had uh, a life before uh, joining the convent. You were in Hollywood. You were uh, at parties with celebrities. Uh, sounds like quite the life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I, um, I'm a lot older than I look. <laughs> when I tell people I worked in motion picture advertising for 20 years, they, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's very nice to see how shocked they are because they don't realize <laughs> I'm 57 years old. <laughs> but, you did not uh, notice that, yeah. Yeah. Of course, I started out as a child wanting to be a nun, but then mm. nobody was interested in me doing that. So I had to come up with all these other uh, life paths that would sort of please the people around me. And when I was in high school, I started getting into uh, theater and, and I was really, really pathologically shy. So I started doing theater. So I went to NYU and majored in acting and got a degree in acting. And um, the family that I was working for when I was in college, uh, the dad worked in advertising. Hmm. So I got introduced in the world of advertising by listening to him. He was the president of Revlon Advertising oh, wow. at that time. Yeah. And then after college, they were going to move to Los Angeles because he got a job as the head of marketing at Paramount Pictures. Oh, wow. So they asked me to go with them because I was attached to the kids. They were attached yeah. to me. He said, I know you want to be an actor, so maybe you can get out to LA and whatever. And within a, a very short period of time, I realized I was not cut out to be an actor. So um, when I was leaving my nanny job, I said, you know, I'm going to get a secretary job or something, try to find a grown up job. Mm -hmm. And he spoke to one of his friends who owned an ad agency and got me a job as a secretary at an ad agency. So that's where it started. Oh, wow. I worked for uh, what they call boutique agencies, which are these small agencies in Hollywood that specialize in movies, television, mm -hmm. video games. At first, I worked in AV and trailers and mm -hmm. TV commercials. And then I, switched to print and mm. became a photo editor. And by mm. the end of my career, I was a senior photo editor. I was running a department. Wow. We did photo shoots. 
And um, the whole time I was doing it for 20 years, I was a fish out of water. I was really? the least, least likely person to go into advertising. It's a business <laughs> of extrovert. Sure. <laughs> I'm an introvert. <laughs> it's high energy. It's high drama. I learned a lot creatively from it. Yeah. So it was valuable. Sure. What was your uh, experience of, of Hollywood uh, sort of as a culture at that time? When I first went out there, um, we took a tour of Universal Studios. And the tour guide says the same thing pretty much every time. He says, we're driving through this Western cowboy town, but these are facades. These are false fronts. The buildings mm. have nothing behind them. And that was what I always carried with me through Hollywood is that mm. it is a false front. It's mm. like the Wizard of Oz. Sure. And there's just a little tiny guy who's running <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> it's really not what the world thinks it is. First, I used to love movies. And then I lost my yeah. love of movies because before human resources really started stepping in, there was a lot of of employee abuse and it really just took all the love of movies and movie making completely out of my heart because I thought I'm part of a problem. I'm not part of the mm. solution to what's hurting in the world. Towards the end of my career, I felt like I was in a prison and my mm. plan to join a convent was me making an escape from the prison. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 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 So you mentioned something in, in mm -hmm. talking about your childhood that I, I find really interesting. You said that you wanted to be a nun at a young age, but people said, discourage you from that. Yeah, yeah. Where did that desire first come from? And, and where did that discouragement uh, come from? I think a lot of real callings from God, God tapping you on the shoulder, really comes out of left field. That's characteristic mm. of a lot of call stories that I've heard. Not all of them, but a lot mm. of them. For me, it really did come out of left field. I was um, born in Georgia. Mm -hmm. I was part of a culture that was very Southern Baptist or Methodist. And there was a real anti-Roman Catholic sentiment in the South at that time. I don't know if there still is. But when I was a little girl, I started watching um, syndicated things on television, like The Flying Nun. Boy, was that good marketing for content, yeah. <laughs> that show. <laughs> it was a really great show. It was really funny. And I saw the joy of, of sisterhood. And uh, strangely enough, it was Hollywood that brought me to, to my calling because mm. I watched The Nun Story, which was made in 1969. It was on the Sunday matinee on TV. Mm. And... Other films and books about nuns, I was always drawn to that sort of thing. And if I ever talked to anybody about it, they would be like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> the, the Reformation was raging sure. in Georgia. <laughs> and yeah. I was always attracted to the Catholic devotional practices. Uh, and then as I got older, especially when I was a teenager, people said, you know, it's psychologically unhealthy to want to join a convent because you're running away from the world. You're suppressing your your feminine energy. So um, I had to fight back against a lot of that. But I had one friend in high school, Warren, who's still my friend to mm. this day. His nieces went to the Catholic school in my hometown. So he asked me if I wanted to chaperone dances and go on field trips with the kids. It was the first time I ever met nuns. They were the daughters yeah. of charity from Catonsville, Maryland. They were running that school. They were so full of joy and they were funny and they had these short habits, these little clip-on veils. It was so great. <laughs> <laughs> Loved them. They were young and yeah. they were so down to earth. And I thought, that is the woman I want to be. I want to be mm. like those daughters of charity. 
Well, we will we will come back to that. Uh, but first, I've got some rapid fire questions here to sort of spark the imagination and conversation around Jesus. So, yeah. if you're ready, yeah. If Jesus had a favorite ice cream flavor, what would it be? Something that has a lot of ingredients. <laughs> okay. Something okay. That was uh, pulled from a different sources. If Jesus had a favorite movie, what would it be? The Nun Story, because that's my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> if Jesus had a favorite season of the year, what would it be? Oh, definitely Easter. <laughs> okay. Would Jesus be a dog person, a cat person, or a plant person? I think he'd be an everything person. He wouldn't have to pick okay. one. <laughs> <laughs> if Jesus came to your house or to the convent, rather, uh, what would you offer him to drink? First, I'd offer him a cup of tea because our community was founded in England. So we always immediately offer people a cup of tea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if Jesus had a favorite sports team, what would it be? The Saints. <laughs> would Jesus be an Apple or Android user? <laughs> I think it would be an Android user because it's much more logical. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally for this round, in one word, who is Jesus to you? Love. You were talking about sort of your first experience of meeting sisters in real life. Mm -hmm. You had this sort of call to something more mystical, more structured. But where did Jesus first introduce himself to you? Where did you first sort of encounter this person, this idea? It was in church um, as a little Southern Baptist girl in the 70s. The image of Jesus was your your hippie cousin, <laughs> you know, <laughs> long hair and sandals. He was the cool hippie cousin who wanted to hang out with you and be your friend, and you could just talk to him all day long. And that was a good way to be introduced to Jesus in a really personal way. I've carried that even through, you know, the different denominations that I've belonged to. Jesus is still my hippie cousin. <laughs> He's just so great. <laughs> uh, so how did that manifest for you as as your your hippie cousin buddy? <laughs> I think sometimes as a kid, because I was so shy and because I was in a family of extroverts, so I was the odd man out. Everybody talked and I didn't get to talk much. Jesus was the one that I could talk to. That persists to this day as well. Whatever I'm going through, I feel like he's always there. I've never felt loneliness in my whole life. And as a kid, it was nice to know that Jesus was always with me. Yeah. Was there a specific story of, of Jesus's time on this earth that resonated with you in particular? I think it's all the times when he hangs out with the sinners and the outcasts that really resonates with me because. I've always been an oddball <laughs> ever since I was a kid. <laughs> I'm one of those people that no matter which group I tried to fit into, I didn't. And mm -hmm. until I came to the convent, I was like, finally found my people. Yeah. But um, for Jesus to be so welcoming and affirming to everybody has always appealed yeah. to me. So let's fast forward back to you're in Hollywood. It's a rough go. Uh, I can only imagine too heading a department with Photoshop where you're editing the reel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what finally pushed you out and, and sent you on this journey towards the convent life? I think, um, 
at one point I had tried so hard to be normal. I had this career that, you know, people back in my hometown thought was so great. My parents thought it was so mm-hmm. glamorous. And, and I had gotten married and divorced and none of it was fulfilling. I was really depressed. I was really anxious and I got into therapy mm-hmm. and it was in therapy that my therapist taught me to speak my truth, to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> my therapist was a secular Jewish lady, yeah. very funny, really smart. And I said, well, you know, do you think all this other stuff isn't working out for me because I'm being called to be a sister, like instead of being married? She goes, no, no, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> but she had taught me to push back. So I said, yeah. I think it is. I think you're wrong. And that was when I started finally sort of coming out of my shell and being more authentic to my family and my friends. There were a lot of my friends who didn't even know that I went to church. So I took the, the risk finally of, of coming out of the closet as a church person. And yeah. I, I didn't proselytize. I just, you know, would quietly say that I had a church thing to go to or, you know, oh, that's near my church. And so people became more aware. But it was just mm. this crisis in my life where I said, all right, folks, I tried everything that I was supposed to do to be happy. I did the checklist. Mm. And I'm not happy. I'm absolutely miserable. I had gone from, you know, dysfunctional, abusive, toxic environments and every job I had in advertising. The last job I had was very stressful, very high energy job, but it was a good job. Should I stick with this? Because it's the best thing I've ever had. And I just kept noticing the misogyny in the movies, the misogyny in the way that the art directors did photo shoots. There was a lot of violence against women. There was a lot of criticism of the the models that we used for the shoot. They were always saying they were fat or they they weren't quite right. And and I thought, you know, this is what creates insecurity and danger in women. And mm. and all the violence. Every time we did a shoot, they would say, "We need more guns." Because we had these fake guns that we would rent. Sure. We rented air, we we bought airsoft guns that looked like the real thing, yeah. just to take the orange tip off of it. But yeah. the last campaign that I worked on was uh, Dark Knight Rising. I think it was the name of that Batman sure. franchise. And for every shoot, they wanted dozens and dozens of guns, automatic weapons, everything, and more and more blood. We had to get gallons of fake blood and guns. And I thought, wow, God is really trying to tell me something. I left Los Angeles. I think it was shortly after I left Los Angeles that that, that boy walked into a movie theater yeah. and shot in people. Yeah. yeah. And I thought I was a part of that. I was a part of that industry that glorifies violence. And I am not happy that I've spent so much time in it. But that was the other thing that really pushed me was being aware of being part of the problem. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, you were stepping out of the closet, mm-hmm. attending church, sort of being your authentic self. What were you finding uh, as you stepped more into who you were, who you were called to be? Church always felt like home. It, it brought back good memories of when I was a little kid and went to church with my grandmother. And it was a pleasant experience to worship and sing. The music really drew me in. So I tried out a few different denominations and I was emailing Roman Catholic nuns when I was married. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really feeling called to be a nun. I'm married. And they told me it was supposed to make me happy and I'm miserable because <laughs> I don't feel called to be yeah. in marriage. And, yeah. and it was a Roman Catholic nun that said to me, you sound like an Episcopalian with my political beliefs and sure. and uh, my worldview. And 
So that's when, when she told me that, I said, well, it's too bad that they don't have none. She said, oh, yes, they do. <laughs> that day, <laughs> oh wow! That day, I I emailed the Episcopal rector uh, in Beverly Hills because I was working in PR in Beverly Hills at the mm-hmm. time, and I said, "I want to be an Episcopalian, and I want to be a nun." <laughs> 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 Luckily, she didn't think I was totally nuts. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> that's incredible. Took, yeah, she took me under her wing, and she really um, helped me with my discernment. Yeah. Yeah. What does that discernment look like? I'm sure some would assume that any religious order would just be happy to just say, come on in. We need more of you. We're running low on numbers here. <laughs> but low. what does that discernment look like? <laughs> it's a long, it was a lot longer than I thought. I thought, yeah. you know, I was ready to join in 1999. Mm-hmm. And they said, mm-hmm. you got to be out of debt. And I had a lot of debt. <laughs> <laughs> college. And then I, sure. I paid for my sister's education. So I had all this debt. And um, I thought, well, that's impossible. I'll never get out of debt. So it took me like a good 12 years to get out of debt. Wow. And I had to stay in this prison of advertising for 12 years. Yeah. But, you know, of course, it's all on God's time and it all makes sense in God's world. Because during those years, I developed more management skills, more mm. creative skills, marketing skills that are relevant to my work today. And I was able to visit four different convents and really discern where I felt at home. Then I went to St. Margaret's in Boston and I loved them. I was like, this is it. I am Mm. joining them. And after I went to their search program, I emailed their superior and I said, hey, I'm ready to join. (laughs) I got to get out of debt, but I'm ready to join. She never emailed me back. And then I emailed other emails at the convent there. Nobody emailed me back. I called. I left voicemails. Nothing. And I thought, well, God's really trying to tell me something <laughs> these people. <laughs> they hate me. They don't no. want me. So mm. then I uh, emailed the community of St. John Baptist after I gave up on St. Margaret. And within 15 minutes, the superior mm. emailed me back. She mm. said, of course, I remember you. You were here eight years ago and you came to our search program and you're from California. And, and so yeah. I thought, that's really God telling yeah. me where yeah. I need to be. Fast forwarding a little bit. Become a sister. Mm-hmm. You're you're in life. What did you? What have you found in in this in today's world? Pretty radical uh, form of living. I found that um, it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. My work is preaching, teaching, leading retreats, mm-hmm. um, spreading the gospel. I thought all the work that I had done in the world would be taken away from me because that was the old fashioned mm. way of. Okay. And they said, no, you can still do that. You can bring your laptop. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I was pleasantly surprised at how how great it feels to be a sister. It's still a challenge because living together is the hardest thing on earth. Sure. When you've got a bunch of people who would not have chosen each other mm. out there in the secular world, we're all forced to live together 24-7. We're both active and contemplative, which means that we pray five divine offices a day. We have daily mass. So we're in chapel about three hours a day. Wow. So we're on top of each other yeah. every day. And so we get on each other's nerves. There's conflict. There's all kinds of things. But I was yeah. pleasantly surprised to find that even when these people get mad at me when we have conflict, they still love me. They don't mm-hmm. reject me. They don't abandon me, which is really different for me. It feels like... Yeah. 
uh, a real love, a real emotional intimacy that I did not expect. I thought we would be like co-workers, but instead we're to a place where we're authentic with each other to say, you know, you're really getting on my nerves today. <laughs> and we can be honest with each other yeah. instead of being this co-worker nice front all the time. Sure. Yeah. Right. We're going to get more into your TikTok here in a moment, but on, on one of your TikToks, you were talking about what it was to join religious life and being able to take off certain masks as a way of thinking about it. Could you tell us a little bit about what that was to leave the world of Hollywood, where, as you say, it was, you know, image and violence and, and celebrity and all the things that make Hollywood good, bad, otherwise, yeah. what it was like to then take on a habit, live in this, mm -hmm. you know, the three hours in chapel and, and so forth. <laughs> I just remember having this huge sigh of relief when mm. I was finally accepted in the community and I didn't have to play that game anymore. There's a game that males and females are supposed to play out there in the world. We're supposed to portray a certain construct of what our gender is supposed to be. And that never felt comfortable for me. I hated it. I, <laughs> I thought, why can't I just be, you know, why can't I just look like I want to look instead of looking in a way that other people want me to look? And even now, um, we can wear regular clothes, what we call people clothes. We can wear it <laughs> <laughs> on our day off, which is Monday, and we can wear uh, regular clothes on our vacations. And I don't because mm -hmm. I never felt comfortable in those clothes. I always felt like people were judging me, saying I was too fat or that's not fashionable or you know, people can be so critical. And yeah. especially when I was in Hollywood, everybody was toned and thin. Right. And I didn't. I was always this weird sort of little, you know, Wednesday Adams kind of person. <laughs> 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 I kept my hair long because I'm pathologically cheap and I don't want to pay sure. to get my hair cut. <laughs> I could yeah. just cut it myself. <laughs> I think I was, I was just really rebelling against um, the idea that women have to pay so much money to look mm. acceptable that really bothered me and i know in my heart that advertising is what drives that it causes women to feel insecure and so you spend money mm. so that you won't be insecure and i was part of that cycle it is a scary thing when you're that close to the creation of uh culture mm -hmm. or, or pop yeah. culture or, or mass media mm -hmm. um to realize like oh wow i'm sitting in a room where people are discussing someone's size height weight to say whether or not they're right for this it's it's, it it's incredible judgment and yeah. yet you know we take it as just sort of yeah that's just how it is that's yeah. that's the world yeah. and not choices made by people in totally. some room i thought you know if i have all this background in advertising i'd rather be advertising something i really believe in that's sure. really going to help people <laughs> Yeah. God. Is that where the TikTok started? I was kind of dragged into TikTok because <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone over the age of 30 yeah. is dragged onto TikTok. <laughs> like that's for little kids. Yeah. And yeah. um when I first came into the convent, the sisters were very opposed to social media. Sure. They thought it was pure evil and that mm -hmm. somebody was going to steal our credit cards and see us in our pajamas and <clears throat> break into the house. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of them still think that, but it took a lot, <laughs> took a lot of convincing for me to tell them, no, you know, it can be used to evangelize. It can be used yeah. to spread the gospel. 
So they let me start putting stuff on Facebook. And they've seen the wonderful example of Roman Catholic mm-hmm. sisters and brothers who were really mm-hmm. pioneers in that work of, of spreading the gospel on social media. And so when I got into Facebook and Instagram, I thought, Instagram, that's as far as I'm going to go. I'm sure. you know, I'm too old. I'm not going to learn anything <laughs> else. But yeah. then my friend from L.A., who used to be my photo assistant, he kept mm-hmm calling me and leaving me messages he goes, have you seen tiktok and i'm like i don't want to go on there that's just a bunch no. of foolishness and dancing i don't dance <laughs> he said no no there's some great stuff on there there's archaeologists there's therapists there's, and i said really and he said there's cat videos so that was really the gateway drug <laughs> for me <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I saw these hilarious animal videos. And at the time, we had this wild turkey that was attacking the convent. She was terrorizing <laughs> the convent. <laughs> like, we started out going, oh, there's a pretty little turkey. And then she was, like, standing on top of the car and wouldn't get off and was attacking <laughs> us as we were trying to drive. She was, like, if you're backing out of the parking space, she would sure. stand behind the car and menace, oh, menace us. And she was humongous. So I started yeah. making videos about her. And yeah. we still don't know if it was a her. We just assumed. Sure. <laughs> and that's where I started, was just making those kind yeah. of videos and the cat. And when the turkey videos started getting popular, I thought, well, now that I have people's attention, I'm going to educate them. Before we dive fully into your life in TikTok, I got another round of rapid fire questions for you. Okay. All right. If Jesus did a TikTok challenge, which one would it be? I think he would ask, what is love? Okay. <laughs> what trending sound would Jesus use the most? <laughs> Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. <laughs> all right. <laughs> would Jesus be on social media at all? Oh, yeah. He would be out there preaching and teaching like he always did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would Jesus' social media following look like today? <laughs> I think he would be horrified at some of it. (laughs) (laughs) And he would be glad for the small percentage of true believers. What would Jesus' social media handle be? (laughs) Your buddy. Your buddy. (laughs) All right. And then this is a three-parter. Which three accounts would Jesus definitely follow? (laughs) James Martin. Okay. I would hope that he would follow mine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> say that. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> On the, th- the third one, maybe s'mores the photogenic cat. <laughs> <laughs> so the evil turkey that's terrorizing you all <laughs> starts to go viral. Mm-hmm. When did you start putting yourself on camera to say, let's talk about Jesus, TikTok? Well, it was, I was so scared to do it. Mm. I asked my therapist, do you think I should do this? She goes, sure. Mm. Why not? I said, I don't want to be weird because, you know, some people are really opposed to religion and they would think I was being weird. So I just did a a one video where I was very wooden and very (laughs) not okay on camera. (laughs) (laughs) Reading off a paper, you know. My purpose was to inform people that there are nuns and monks in the Episcopal Church and give a little bit of background. And I was shocked that people were responding so positively. And then I I put up a video of me singing a hymn in Gregorian chant. Mm. And I thought, 
nobody but like six church nerds sort of care about this. <laughs> nobody cares about this. Yeah. And that video got over 1.5 million views. Wow. And then I started doing informational videos just about, hey, here's what nuns and monks do all day. And here's our schedule. Yeah. And all these women started commenting, I can't believe you're, at the time I was 55 years old. Can't believe you're 55 years old. <laughs> how do you keep, how do you stay so young looking? Drop, sure. your, drop your skincare routine. <laughs> I was like, of all people, I do not have sure. a skincare routine, <laughs> nor have I ever. Yeah. I did a video addressing it just to be funny. And that went really super viral. It got me in mm. all the, the online news outlets. Yeah. People were, you know, wanting to license the video. And I was like, this stupid little video. <laughs> yeah. That's what got me on yeah. Kelly Clarkson and um, got so much media attention. I was like, wow, God, you really do have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. That's 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 pretty wild to think as a journey going from the world of advertising and photoshopping and all yeah. of that a sense of humor indeed i think one of the things we were most interested in talking to you about was that simple fact that you do talk about your religious life mm -hmm. daily life but also faith and jesus and more on the internet mm -hmm. and that's not an easy thing to do for anybody um, we've seen it go wrong in many ways. We've seen it become a, a weapon in many ways. And it's, you know, what we do at Grotto or try to do is, you know, talk about it in ways that feel approachable. How did you start to say, okay, if I'm going to do this, mm -hmm. you know, Kelly Clarkson had me on, <laughs> now what? How did you start to think of how would you talk about Jesus, the faith mm -hmm. in, in your life? I started posting in the depth of the pandemic. We mm -hmm. had closed down our retreat house. We had no guests here. We couldn't go out preaching and teaching. All the churches were closed. So I I felt like people need what they need when they go to church, which is comfort. They need guidance. They need not answers, but they need a way to find their own answers. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of inquiries in the comments about why would a loving God allow mm -hmm. this in the world? So I thought, this is what people need. They need to know how to struggle with these spiritual questions of theirs in a safe environment where I'm not going to say, Oh, you're going to hell for thinking that, <laughs> you know, because yeah. that's what yeah. a lot of, a lot of people are told. They can't question. They can't struggle. They can't bring their authentic self to God. You have to, you know, fit into this certain, certain, uh, like pigeonhole. So I wanted to create a safe space for people to ask the hard questions. And to teach them how to pray, because I'm also a spiritual director. And the shocking thing mm -hmm. to me was when people come to me for spiritual direction, they don't know how to pray. If you do it with the intention of connecting with God, anything you do, making music, walking in nature, creating a piece of art is prayer. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping to teach people how they can connect with God and to reassure them that I don't judge them if they don't go to church. I don't yeah. blame them. Because I have to address the religious trauma that's out there sure. and say, yeah, that happened. And I'm really sorry that that happened to you. Yeah. And, and to get rid of their stereotypes about religion. Uh, one of the TikToks of yours that I saw that was just on that topic of mm -hmm. how do we understand the Bible? How do we read the Bible? Mm -hmm. And you talked about how reading it as a literal document, as a uh, mm -hmm. everything in here was meant to be read as it is, no no interpretation. 
that that's a fairly recent thing. Yeah. And I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about that. I think there's value in in having your own personal relationship with scripture. But of course, in in our tradition and in, in the Roman Catholic tradition, there's also scholarly ways of looking at scripture. There's their historical context, even putting it in, in the, the context of an experience of like an oppressed people. You have to bring all those things to bear or else you truly can't understand it. And to take it literally is not what the writers of, of scripture ever meant. It was written as a religious text. And in many cases, it's allegorical. It's, you know, the parables are obviously made up imaginary stories to <laughs> illustrate a point. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was never meant to be a scientific historical document ever. And I think people are shocked to learn that a lot of mainline religions, the big, the big ones, aren't fundamentalists because right. what they hear in the media is fundamentalism. That's a small part of of the belief yeah. system. Yeah. So how are you breaking that down or just how are you opening up mm -hmm. faith to people on TikTok? I think I'm I'm trying as much as I can to share books with them to say like, you know, when somebody was asking me how can God allow evil yeah. to exist? I said there's a whole branch of theology called theodicy and here are a bunch of books on that topic. And theologians have talked about this in a much more intelligent way than I ever could. So I invite you to explore that yourself. A lot of people have never been introduced to theologians, like historical sure. theology. Like they don't realize that tradition is a really big part of understanding scripture and understanding our faith. So it's nice to be able to introduce people to a book about the concept of hell or <laughs> the concept of heaven. And to say, you know, nobody has the answers, but theologians help you think about what what your answer might be if you were to come up with an answer. Yeah, it's a really great way of putting it. Um, TikTok, obviously, it's predominantly young people, mm -hmm. and as we know, generation generational studies, young people today are more disconnected from their faith, from religious communities, from religious orders. Yeah. What are what are they sort of discovering with you? What's the feedback like with your followers? It's so encouraging because the younger people give me so much hope for humanity. They were raised with a sense that the world is in crisis and they need to pitch in and help. That's how their worldview is. It's on the greater good. You know, in schools these days, part of your curriculum is you have to do volunteer hours. So they're service oriented and they also don't want anything that's fake. They they are searching for authenticity. And that's why they've rejected religion, because they really feel that religion is not authentic. If they're going to have an experience of something spiritual, they don't want stuff getting in the way. So I have this great hope that they can burn down what's there and build it back up in an authentic way because they are different from my generation. I'm Gen X. We were raised to, you got to be a doctor, got to be a lawyer, got to make a lot of money, got to get your own pad and focus on yourself. <laughs> and their generation is raised in a more collective way. Like a lot of young people that I know are living in a group situation because they don't want to live alone. And also the yeah. economy is so bad. Damn. But yeah. Yeah. 
they prefer to live in these communal situations, much like a convent. And they're seeking connection and experience in a, in a very real way, which is so encouraging that they're not tuning out reality anymore. They're trying to live into it. There's an irony here almost of someone who wears the same outfit every day, wears a habit, <laughs> um, lives in a very intentional way, you know, has strict, stricter schedule than most. But you're telling them that there's a freedom yeah. in all of this. How do you explain that or, or how do you break that down? The freedom is rejecting all the constructs of gender, of financial um, reality, of mm-hmm. You've got to do this in order to be happy. The structure of the community actually is freeing because I'm not working nine to five. I'm not working in a factory. (laughs) I'm going back and forth between prayer and work all day long. And that feels more like a natural state of being to me. And it wouldn't to everybody. And also living a life of meaning and service is, is, I think, more appealing to the younger generations than it would ever be to Gen X and, and boomers. But I think a lot of people back then entered for the wrong reasons. They entered because they were trying to escape uh, their sexual orientation. They entered because as women, that was the only way to get an education and travel and have a, what looked like a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them left. There was this huge exodus from religious orders because I believe in my heart it was because people had entered for the wrong reasons. And I think that the younger ones that are entering now, um, like the sisters in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I'm just so inspired by them because they've really got it right. They're saying all these young people are joining the community. The average age is like 33 because they're saying this life is wonderful. It's amazing. (laughs) It's what you need in order to feel uh, like you have a life that has meaning. Yeah, yeah. What has TikTok shown you about Jesus from your time on it? It's really inspired me because I never in a million years thought that non-religious, non-spiritual people would come together and form community around an account like mine. I have all these followers who regularly have conversations in the comments. And this woman wrote to me yesterday, and I'm... I was just like in tears, so I hope I can get through this. She says, I finally got the nerve to take my trans lesbian daughter and her fiance to our Episcopal church in my little town. The bishop happened to be there today. His sermon was about how black lives matter and then all lives matter because black lives, women's lives, Pakistani lives, indigenous, Jewish, LGBTQ, gay, lesbians, trans should matter as much as white lives. I cried like a baby. I mean, what are the chances that I've followed you for so long to finally go on a date, not only when the bishop was there, but his sermon was so guided to my family. And as much as I cried, it was nothing compared to my atheist daughter. I give you all the credit for us being there and giving the Episcopal religion a chance. Thanks so much. I get messages like that all the time where people say, I walked into church because of you. Not always Episcopal churches, but they'll say, I finally decided to try and find a religion that works for me because I didn't realize I could (laughs) until you started talking about the different denominations and how uh, if the church that you grew up in doesn't work for you, you can find one that does. What's your advice for someone like that who 
Maybe they feel that itch, mm-hmm. that sort of question gnawing at them that maybe there's something missing, there's something else. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you start that journey back to faith, back to church, back to God, Jesus? I've encouraged people to try and find a church that's safe for them. A lot of people are terrified to walk into a church in person. So you can dip your toe in by watching worship, listening to the sermons online, and and looking up the denomination and see if that aligns with your beliefs. And if it doesn't, keep looking. You know, even if you have to start attending church all the way across the United States on Zoom or on YouTube or whatever, and connect with it that way to find the right church for you. It's just so important to find the right fit. So I tell them, it's just like anything else. You have to find out your church, what works for you. On the flip side of that, let me ask you, because Mm -hmm. I know, you know, working at a Catholic institution, Mm -hmm. um, I sometimes hear criticism of what you just described as like church shopping, right? Church shopping, yeah. Um, (laughs) But uh, how do you encourage someone to find their truth and Mm -hmm. the truth? Yeah. I think, you know, just to look deep within and see what you've been taught about God, what you think about God, as opposed to what you think God should be. Mm. And see if you can find anything that aligns with the way that you interpret God. And I always encourage church shopping because I did it. (laughs) I tried out (laughs) several denominations. So it it helps people to know that, you know, you don't have to commit right away. You just have to see what's going on in there. Sure. So it's like any relationship. You have to really explore it and and protect yourself. Mm -hmm. In that letter that you read, um, you know, someone who, for many reasons, probably felt like they weren't welcomed in church. Mm -hmm. What's your advice for folks who have felt unwelcomed uh, or not wanted in religious spaces, if they do feel some calling mm-hmm. to the spiritual life? I think that, um, and not just because I live in a convent, but convents and monasteries are a good sort of under-the-radar way to connect with God and attend worship without having to sign on the dotted line. We, we have a lot of people who sort of orbit around us of different denominations, different phases in their spiritual journey. And we don't ask for a commitment from them. We don't say, hey, you want to be a nun? (laughs) (laughs) We have people who come to our Sunday worship and they they come for years and years and then they sort of fade away and and go, you know, find themselves a church to go to. But it's a good way of encountering worship and prayer and God without the intimidating parts of it. I think that people are rightfully afraid of religion. Unfortunately, religion has done a lot to scare people off. We have issues of intimidation and uh, fear in our past, which we have to answer to and say, you know, we want to help people grow close to God without the fear of being abused or rejected. Coming into God's house and being rejected is never what Jesus would have wanted. All right. I got a final set of rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay. All right. If you could ask Jesus one question, what would it be? What's up with this free will business? That was a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> be easier if we didn't have to figure it out. <laughs> if Jesus were to look at you, how would you describe his look? Unconditional love beyond comprehension. Where is Jesus most real for you? In music, sacred music. What is Jesus's key message for social media? Spread the good news, not the bad news. And finally, if Jesus had a favorite podcast, what would it be? <laughs> this one. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh, gosh. Sister, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I've really you. enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for your kindness and for having me on. If you want to find out more about Sister Monica Clare, you can follow her on TikTok at Nonsense for the People. You can also learn more about her convent at csjb.org. This episode of Jesus' Favorite Podcast was hosted by Javi Zubazaretta and produced by me, Ebony Moxie, senior producer Josh Long. Grotto Network is Adrian Garaldi, social media manager, Becky Rogers, art director, Kara Kenujeski, project manager, Ebony Moxie, audio storytelling associate, Jackie Cho, platform storytelling associate, Jane O'Connor, associate video producer, Javi Zubazaretta, director, Jesse McCartney, senior content editor. Josh Long, Senior Video Producer. Kevin DeClute, Video Producer. Michaela Douglas, Digital Content Strategist. Mike Rossetti, Senior Manager for Community Engagement. Father Brendan McClare, Associate Producer. Ryan Brossard, Student Media Assistant. Special thanks to our guests and Notre Dame Studios. Did you like what you heard today? Please share Jesus' favorite podcast with a friend. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at Grotto Network. My grandmother's like, over my dead body, will you become a Roman Catholic? <laughs> the, the Reformation was raging sure. in Georgia at that time. <laughs>